What's up? It's Trent McClellan, huh? Back with another episode of the Generators Podcast here on the Comedy Here Often Podcast Network. What's going on? I hope you're good. Uh, I am doing well. Um, Another week upon us. We're closer to warm weather and shorts consistently, you know? Not having to put shorts on one day and then a snowsuit the next, or we're getting closer to it, you know? You can do a picnic. You can sit on a piece of grass and, and, and have a meal or a beverage, you know, without that cold wind just slicing you in two. So that's encouraging. You know, and hopefully things are going to open up soon for everybody. I know we're all kind of sick of it. And uh, hang in there. We're getting there. We're trucking along. We're heading in the right direction, as they say. I'll tell you one thing. As a comedian, it is tough. It is tough to not be able to perform and get on stage doing said stand-up. Um, I don't think I've been on a stage doing a... I mean, the last time I was on stage, I did a guest spot, I guess, at the Comedy Cove, maybe. Um, Or a show at the Carlton, I guess, for the Just for Laughs taping uh, many, many months ago. And uh, I've not been on stage since. And uh, I don't know when they're going to open again, but hopefully soon. Because I've been itching. I've been itching people. I got ideas. I've been jotting them down. They're making me laugh. And that's a good sign, you know, as a comedian. If you can make yourself laugh, then, uh, you know, there's a... I don't know what the percentage would be. It's probably a 64% chance that the audience is also going to get it and laugh. But uh, the ideas are coming fast and furious. I just need a crowd to test them out on. So I'm hoping one of those is going to be around soon. A group of people in a room, you know, eager to laugh and listen to my ramblings because I miss it a great deal. So fingers crossed that uh, I'll be in the bright lights again at some point in the coming months. We shall see. Uh, I hope you are well out there. I hope you're hanging in there. I hope you're checking in on each other and uh, being as kind as you can. That's all we can do at the moment. Be patient and be as kind as you can. That's it. Every day. That's all you got. All right. That's enough for me. But I'm going to set up this week's episode. This week, I have Barry Katz is my guest. For those of you who don't know who Barry is, Barry Katz has managed some of the biggest names in stand-up comedy. I mean, I'm talking uh, Dave Chappelle. He has managed Dane Cook. Uh, I think he managed Louis C.K. for a while in Louis' early career. Um, Whitney Cummings. He has Jay Moore. I mean, it's, it's he has managed some big, big names. He has seen a lot in the entertainment business. Um, he's based out of Los Angeles, California, and uh, my guest coordinator reached out to his people, and we were able to make this happen. And uh, he has a fascinating podcast as well called Industry Standard, where he talks to some of the biggest names in the biz, from producers to you know TV executives, comedians. Um, he's had some remarkable guests, and I listened to it a lot. It's been a great insight into how the entertainment biz works. And a lot of folks on the outside, uh, if you're a normal person who's uh, out there in the world, uh, the entertainment world can be very, very different. And it's um, challenging, very unpredictable. And uh, Barry's podcast really gives you an inside look as as to what it's like and how deals are made and how deals are not made and how things can go away, but just as quickly how great things can happen in your career if you're willing to work hard and uh, be undeniable, as he says. So anyway, we get into a little bit about the podcast. We talk about his career. Um, 
We talk about being grateful a great deal, which was fantastic. Uh, and he also has a, uh, he drops a little surprise uh, for us uh, a little later in the episode about something he's working on that I think can be very, very beneficial for those of uh, us in the entertainment world, in particular uh, comedians, you know, if you're, if you're serious about the biz and, and really uh, making the most of your career. So he talks about that towards the end of the episode. Um, I think you'll enjoy this one. Again, it's a great insight into uh, the entertainment biz and uh, in particular his career and and the things that he's gone through and what he's seen. And uh, I really got a lot out of it. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. And uh, I think you're also going to enjoy this conversation. Sit back, relax, or keep jogging or walking or, I mean, uh, whatever you do when you listen to this podcast and uh, enjoy my conversation with uh, Barry Katz. Well, I am joined by, I mean, what has this man not done? This man managing talent on a colossal level. We're talking the Dave Chappelle's of the world, Dane Cook, Bill Burr, Whitney Cummings, Jay Moore. He's produced Last Comic Standing, uh, Who Shot JFK. What has this man not done? Anyway, he joins me today from, I'm sure, beautiful Malibu, California. Barry Katz, welcome to the Generators Podcast. All right. I made the cut. Congratulations. It's so nice, it's so nice that uh, I'm on the show and, uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, who knows who your guest could be next? It could be Scatman Crothers, the the parent from Beretta. It could be anything. So oh, I, 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 I know that line, Barry Katz. I, that I know. From that's, that, 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 that's the key. That's the key for you, right? What's that from? <laughs> Do I get a prize if I figure I, it out? I want to. I want to see if you've done any research. <laughs> oh, on the I know you. You shouldn't do research on. I know you. You walk in that green room. You look at Orny Adams. And you say, "Orny, what's next?" The parrot from Beretta. You're actually asked to repeat what you said, and you're like, "All right, I'll do it reluctantly." And uh, and Orny doesn't take it well. I actually worked with Orny up here in Canada. We actually opened for him on a on a show up here. He's a machine. The guy's a machine. He's a uh, just. Uh, a, he's- He's so funny. He's got uh, he's got amazing material. He's he's really great. I think the the lesson and I was just watching that uh, scene. My sons put it up for me to watch the scene. And um, I mean, I think there's a good lesson to be learned there is that you you just a lot of people don't. Uh, for some reason, a lot of people don't let the actions speak for themselves. You know, they don't let the. They, they let their mouth uh, speak for themselves and and it's the actions are the things that that define everything and uh and yeah. i think with orney at the time i don't know what he's like now but at the time it was all about you know what he'd done and re-emphasizing and almost like a almost like lobbying for things you know it was like uh it was like a lobbyist in congress or something like that trying to get a bill passed <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah and i remember george at one point says to him and i think there's a lot of truth to this i mean i'm sure you know george on a personal level i've never met the man but very well yeah but this concept of you know when he says do you think i'll be a big star and he says i think you will and you'll still be unhappy and that was the thing i took from that that doc was that like it's all for not if you're miserable, if you're not enjoying life and if you're not enjoying the process and just living life every day. And and from what I've heard about George, George is a person who enjoys a good cup of coffee, takes in every single moment. Everything is appreciated. It's not so much about status and what you've accomplished. It's about just enjoying what you have every single day. And I think a lot of folks in entertainment get lost in that chasing the thing, chasing the thing and forget to enjoy shit. Well, I mean, I, Speaking of of that, and I think I'm might be uniquely qualified in some way to say that because I'm somebody reminded me that I I said this uh, about being old and how I uh, I feel like it's time to buy some new tennis balls for the bottom of my walker. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I, when I look in the mirror, I don't feel old, but I realize I've been doing this a long time and. And what happens that you don't realize when you start getting an extra year in the business and an extra year in the business, you gain this, this incredible insight of how things are and how they work and, and nobody seems to share them with you. It's like, it's like how nobody tells a woman that having kids is going to be 
you know, one of the most challenging things in her life in terms of not only raising them and making sure that they're good kids and good adults, but also trying to make your relationship and your marriage work properly after that happens. Nobody talks about that. And it's similar to, to in the comedy business, when you get successful, it's not, um, I mean, there's, there's very few people that are really, really happy. And to be really, really happy, you really have to have a clear understanding of the, of the ebbs and flows of, of the business. And look, you know, I, as I'm having this interview with you, I, I, when I think about today, I think of the lows and the highs of just today of the deals I've been working on or the things that have happened. You know, I had one call that was incredible with you know, literally the, one of the greatest, probably one of the greatest shows in the world, you know, and that was really, really special. And then you have another call where you're talking to one of the greatest people in the world and they're mad about something and they're expressing how they don't like the negotiations and how they're going and how, you know, you need to understand the value of who somebody is and what they are. And I, I look at the way the business works and specifically how it relates to life is that if you can understand and, and realize that there's going to be a lot of really, really challenging and tough times and a lot of difficult times. And sometimes you wake up and, and you're just sad and there doesn't have to be a reason why you're sad or you wake up one day and you, you're just not feeling good, but you might have millions of dollars or you might be living in a van as Chris Farley would say down by the river. Um, There's, there's so many different things that happen. And if you take Saturday night live for an example, like just a week at Saturday night live is like the greatest roller coaster ride emotionally than you can ever have if let's just say you're a performer and you're you know your first day the host comes in you pitch him ideas and say he doesn't like any then you have to go back to the room and write and figure out what you're doing but let's say he likes one then you start writing it and you're writing all day on you know monday night and tuesday and you can you know you have that sit down for the table read after you get all your stuff together and turn it in and what's accepted. And then you go in, you don't know what part of the table they're going to start first. You don't know when you're going to read. You don't know if your cast member is going to tank the sketch so he can get his own sketch on, or if he's going to give you everything he has, but let's presume you get through that process and your sketch is on or you know, the, the rehearsal show at least, but then you're doing the blocking and taping all the way through putting together, people rewriting things, but then you get your shot on the rehearsal show and you go and you do it and you can get knocked out between shows, but let's say you get past it and now you're on the real show, the live show and it's going, but let's say the show is going long and your sketch is at the end and they don't have time for it. They cut it. But then again, let's say they don't cut it and it gets on, but then it doesn't do that well. <laughs> then you're in the doghouse for the next week because your sketch didn't do well or you flubbed the line. But let's say you didn't and you got it right and it killed and everything went right for you. Then you just go back the next Monday and it's like, as Sherry O'Terry once said to me after four years, I'm like, how you doing, Sherry? And she'd say, I feel like every day I walk in the room, every day I walk through the doors here at work, I'm auditioning for my job. And so, but on the greatest show in the world, with some of the greatest people and the most excitement and 
sometimes it still can really get to you and affect you. And, and so that's the thing about all artists in the comedy business. You want to do great work. Everybody wants to do great work. Everybody wants to be recognized. The issue is once you're recognized, are you going to be happy? Are you going to be accepting of the things that can build you up? And the things that build you up are capable of breaking you down. Mm-hmm. You have somebody like you have somebody like Joe Rogan, who to me is just extraordinary what he's done in the community the community that he has and how amazing it is. And the deal that he signed is groundbreaking. And I can't speak for him because I'm I'm not with him right now, but I'm sure there's a part of him that thinks to himself, some person from somewhere out in the trees, like a sniper, can come in at any time who is mad at me for something or who is upset at me or who wants to hurt me, can try to take me down and they might be successful. And so we're in a business where we're supposed to be able to go in a comedy club and it's supposed to be our place of work and we're supposed to be able to do and say what we want in that place of work without having to worry any about anything. And now like today, if Don Rickles were alive, he'd be canceled. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if Milton Berle were alive today, he'd be canceled. You know, so many people of the great artists of our time would just be taken down. And so um, it's a challenging time and, and not just in that sense of things, but also for artists coming up because you're, you set your goals. Your first goal is to like, if you're in Canada, your first goal is probably to be, okay, can I be a regular at the yuck yucks in my town? Mm -hmm. Can I get paid work there? Can I be a, an MC? Can I feature? Can I get my headlining gig? Can Will Mark Breslin book me or whoever it is, book me on the road on their tour? And then when I do that, will I be able to get a film and television job? Will I be able to get my visa to go to the States? It's like the comedy business. I, I was saying this to the people in my office. It's like the whack-a-mole game from when you were a kid. Yeah. It's like you just you, you just get some goal, you smash it down. You're like, I did it. Oh, there's another one that pops up. Yeah, yeah. I got that goal. <laughs> oh, there's another one. Exactly. And so, and so it's very hard to, if you don't have the tools in your emotional toolbox to be able to rally around the victories and absorb the defeats and let them dissolve inside you. Yeah, I know. Well, it's, it's one of those things too. I watched uh, a documentary with Dave Grohl talking about the Foo Fighters and uh, his early days in Nirvana when they were going, they were blowing up and, and, you know, shit was going off and, and Kurt Cobain started to have his problems. And Dave attests his ability to survive that by him just going back to Virginia, back to the bed that he slept in at his, his mom's house and able to have a life outside of the band and the chaos that was the band. And I think I often think about that with comedians. I just watched the Amy Winehouse doc and it's the same thing. Like you need that groundedness. You need an ability to still enjoy life and all those simple things and the cup of coffee and a nice sunset and not have your self-worth wrapped up in whether or not you crushed at the laugh factory or, you know, at the comedy store on a Tuesday night, it's, it's like, it's too much of an emotional roller coaster for someone to navigate. And especially if you're coming into it with issues already and to, to prove Barry that I've done my research and I've listened to your podcast many times, you know, uh, Moss's comment about all performers having a hole blown in them. Larry Moss, Larry the Moss, great, one of the yeah. greatest acting coaches uh, in the history of the world. DiCaprio is acting coach and so many others. Uh, I just spoke to Larry the other day. He just called me. What an amazing man. Crazy. But, and I, and I, 
And it's funny. I think about that all the time. I think about like, is it, is it, is that in every performer to just try and fill that hole with the validation of strangers, whether it's in a comedy club or a performance as an actor or a musician, when you look at all the greats, when you look at John Lennon, Bono, uh, people who lost parents early in life, they had a, a serious trauma early. And now this drove them to greatness in this field was it all a subconscious attempt to to fill that hole? Do you do you think that's true? Do you do you do you believe in that? I do believe in it, but I also believe that that's that's true in life. And and if even if you're not a performer, and um, like I'm just looking at you, saying to myself, God, you know, I know I live in a nice place, but I don't have glasses that look as nice as that, and I'm really depressed about it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, I, and just hold up that glass for a second. Like that, that glass is like something from the peninsula hotel. You know what I mean? I don't have that. I stole it from there. Yeah. It's a holiday I express. Have, I have, uh, you know, I have glasses that have the plastic around them, uh, from the motel five. <laughs> um, so no, so that's just the, the way it is. And, and look, I, I think to myself a lot of times about, my life and um you know when i'm looking in the other direction and i don't want this to seem like come across the wrong way but like I, what i get to look at or what i i'll just do this for you it's just like and i'm just doing this to to show you what's possible so so Beautiful. while i'm do, doing this podcast i get to look out um you know out in stunning. that way stunning and so and as i'm looking out there i'm thinking to myself how um i think it's important to share this and i i don't I do that that often but i found myself looking out there and and i'm having on this podcast and why am i looking out there i'm looking out there because i, I love the ocean and i i was talking to somebody, I don't even know why this was, but somebody reached out to me that I knew from several decades ago. And I said to them, this was like it's just a day ago, and I said to them, could you tell me something that you remember about me that I might not remember about myself? And they said, Barry, you always talked about wanting to live and be able to see the ocean. And I was like in shock, you know, cause I didn't remember that. Right. And so I, I wouldn't care if I had like a penny in the bank and I had nothing and I was hitchhiking places. As long as I can be by the ocean, that makes me happy. Yeah. That's what I want. Now, I'm saying that and showing you the ocean because if that can happen to me, whereas I'm just like literally like a, a plebe, I'm like a commoner. I'm like, my IQ is like closer to a functionally special needs person than to Herb from accounting. <laughs> but, you know, uh, but I figured out something that I was passionate about. And I kept fighting hard in that area to make my mark. And, and after a lot of repetition, I was able to start making my mark. And I took a lot of hits and I had a lot of bad things happen to me. I got fired a lot of times. I got hired a lot of times. I had television shows that went and ones that got canceled. I had movies that did well and those that didn't do well. Um, but if you really have faith that everything is going to go your way, as corny as it sounds, most of the time things will go your way. And, um, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm grateful for every day I get to look at the ocean and I hope and pray there will never be a day where I don't. Um, and even if that day came, I'd probably get a tent and go out there or something because I just, I, I love the way it makes me feel. And you have to love the way things make you feel in 
the business. You have to love everything about it. Now, the thing is, unfortunately, you can't fall in love with the business. Yeah. You can love the business, but don't fall in love with it. Because you fall in love with it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break your heart. But if you love it, and you love it like one of the things I share a lot, which is, again, kind of maybe corny, but when there's somebody who I care about in my life, every day I see them, I have this mantra where I pretend it's the last day I'm going to spend with them. And like either, you know, we're going to stop seeing each other or I'm going to stop seeing them or they're going to stop seeing me. And what would I do if I knew I only had one? How would I treat them if I only knew I had one last night or one last day? And I like to look at that when I'm doing deals or when I'm working on projects, I want to look at what I would accomplish and how I would treat people when I'm on the phone with them, how I would talk to them and how I would make things go. If it was the last time I was going to see them or last time I was going to work with them or do a deal with them. And I find that if I can just embrace that and do it that way, that way, if everything goes away or it doesn't happen the way I want it to happen, I still can embrace all the great times that I had. You know, I'm look, I got to manage Dave Chappelle for eight and a half years. And that was incredible. I mean, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Now I could sit around and say, well, I stopped working with him and then I didn't get to work with him anymore. So that's a bummer. And then there's another year that goes by and I'm not working with them. That's a bummer. And, uh, but you know, it's tempered by the fact that every time I see him, it's, um, it's an amazing time. It's an amazing experience. And it's like nothing I could ever quantify. Yeah. So, so that's the way I like to look at it. And I think that's the way artists should look at things in terms of the ebbs and the flows, you know, don't worry about the, the bad times because just those bad times, they unbelievably lead you to great times. They yeah. always do. It's incredible what happens. If you just stick it out. Yeah, for sure. I've had those moments as well where, I pinch myself and think because of the silly stuff I think of in my head as a stand-up comedian, I get to do this thing. And I remember driving down the Pacific coast highway between LA and I was on a way to a gig in Carlsbad. And I thought, you gotta stop. You got really got to stop bragging. (laughs) I'm being carried on the, the shoulders of the people, Barry, down the Pacific coast highway. They're like, get them to the gig. And, uh, but I just thought, you know, as a kid, grew up in Canada. I grew up in a small town. We didn't have much money. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I've got the ocean on the right-hand side of me. And I'm driving to a theater to go talk about stuff I made up in the shower. You know, like it was just one of those insane things. Same thing happened when I went to Just for Laughs the first time. It was like, you know, this is all because of the shit that I sit down and write out. And now I'm an elevator door opens and it's, you know, Trevor Noah and Dave Chappelle walking out of the elevator and you're at the Hyatt walking around and, and, you know, like it's, you have these surreal moments. And I think that's what I've tried to remind myself as well. Like, that's what this is about. Like the other stuff's going to come and go. You're on a TV show. You're not on a TV show. You get the festival, you don't, but these moments is what I've been really learning to cherish, you know, over the last bunch of years. And it's made it far more enjoyable and less of that roller coaster of, I got to get this. I got to get that. It's like, I don't think you can squeeze that tight all the time. You know, you have to, to enjoy those moments. And so I've luckily I've learned to do that. So I, I get the view. I get you looking out there going, yeah, who would have thought you would have been able to do that and see that. And this is the other thing about the, the, you know, being humble and been feeling like, you know, anything can go away at any time and you just, you just want to embrace it in a positive way. But the other side is, you know, for those artists that are thinking, you know, when's it going to happen? How is it going to happen? The, the reality is that most people don't want to look in the mirror and identify with is the fact that there's no one out there in comedy getting a standing ovation every night who isn't getting what they want in the business. 
Right. It's, it's, you know, there isn't anybody like doing authentically brilliant material that's fucking killing every night that is sitting in his apartment on his futon saying, when's it going to happen for me? All the people sitting on their futon or wherever they are or their apartment or their parents place or, you know, even if they have money, but they're not, it's not happening for them. It's not happening because your content doesn't blow people the fuck away. That's it. It's, it's just so cut and dried. It's not, it, there's no middle ground. It's just, it just doesn't happen. Now I know what you might say. Well, have you seen this person special? I mean, come on. I mean, do you really think that's funny? I mean, look at that. Or have you seen that guy? He's funny, but you know, he's performing without his shirt off. I mean, you know, I mean, I know his stories are funny, but he's performing with a shirt off. I mean, come on. Is that the way, is that the way, is that the way comedy supposed to be? That where we're going? Or, you know, look at that special. There's a comic telling a whole story about how he comic dissed him and how that comic went down. And now he's dissing that comic is the wait. I love that comic and I love you. And is this the way it's supposed to go down? And you're supposed to air your dirty laundry on. There's no rules. The only rule is be fucking extraordinary. Blow people out of the water. David Copperfield has been number one for 35 years in magic. Why has he been number one for 35 years? Guy did 635 shows the year before the pandemic. He's 60 some odd years old. He owns 11 islands. Do you think he is that guy because he's ordinary? No. <laughs> How angry are other magicians, do you think? Well, I'm still at, number one? Fuck. Well, Jesus. Well, uh, you want to know who's really angry? <laughs> Why don't you name me one household name female magician Can't. ever? Cannot. Don't know one. So that's who should that's who should be angry. Imagine being in a profession in entertainment where 50 percent of the population, there's not one person who is a household name. That's unbelievable to me. I mean, that's and so. And I think but the but it's just that's what it is. I mean, it's it's just look, when Bill Burr started, he wasn't where he is now. You know why? Because he wasn't as great as he is now. Yeah. I mean, there's no, he didn't have the skill set he has now. Now, Chappelle, I could argue that he had incredible skill set at 18. Um, he might not have had the edginess, but he had, uh, he has now in terms of riding out the issues for long periods of time, like he could do a bit on Charlottesville or anything for like an hour. But he did have like one of his earliest jokes. I remember in New York, he said he moved to New York and he was in Washington Square Park. And he learned that um, racism was so bad that they used to hang white people and black people on different trees. (laughs) He said, can you imagine black people protesting back then? We want to be hung on the same trees as (laughs) y'all. So he had edgy routines and he had edgy stuff when he was 18. Mm -hmm. And so Dave has just been one of those people who's just gained the momentum throughout. You know, he did seven or eight television pilots in the first nine years that I work with him. Um, So, but for the most part, it's all about extraordinary content, even in television. You know, why do people talk about a show? You don't talk about a show that's ordinary. You talk about a show that blows you away. Yeah. And that's, and that's what it's all about. So for those listening, don't think like, well, when's it going to happen or how's it going to happen? Just think about when are you going to write your first extraordinary joke or sketch 
that's like universally everybody says that joke is as good as any joke or or that bit's as good as any bit I've ever seen. And then when you got that one, when are you going to write the next one? Mm-hmm. And when are you going to start putting them together to where they're all together? And I think in most comics were to write their routines on index cards and put tape on the back and put them on a wall. How many are going to be the level of, let's say, Jim Jeffries gun control bit or Chris Rock's routine on uh, men and women lying or Carlin's routine about the seven dirty words you can't say on television or Buddy Hackett's original Chinese waiter routine. Um, you know, I could go on to hundreds of, of bits, um, but how many people have that? What, how many people have a, a, an assembly of those things? And that's what you want as an artist. If, if I could say something that's going to seem really odd, but I'm going to say it anyway, I'll probably get canceled. I was talking to one of my assistants the other day. I said, how do you think you're doing? They said, um, I think I really think I'm doing a good job. I said, cool, cool. That's great. I said, um, so when I look at good, you know, I look at a rating scale, it's either four or five tiers, you know, let's just take the five tier. It can be one of two things. It can be, um, can be poor, fair, can be good, very good, excellent, or some rating scales, poor, fair, average, good, excellent, regardless, whatever it is. In the grading scale of in school, it's uh, F, D, C, B, A. So the guy said, I'm doing good. I said, okay, you're doing good. You're not doing poor. You're not doing fair. You're not doing average. You're doing good. But there's an excellent right here. So you admit to me that you're just doing a good job. Yeah, I'm doing a good job. But you're not doing an excellent job. No. So where are you going to go? Where are you going to get to being good? You're going to get another job somewhere like, yeah, maybe. You're going to move up being good? Probably not. So, but then when I looked at it, I said, okay, we got the... F, D, E, B, A, you're B. I said, um, I said, tell me about the last, you know, time you swiped on your phone and you set up a date with somebody and you went out on a date that you were, you know, excited about. When you walked out the door and walked in that restaurant to sit down with that girl, Were you a F, a D, a C, a B, or an A? Without me finishing, he said, I was an A. I'm an A. When I walk out the house, I'm an A. I said, okay, so you're an A when you go on the date, but you're a B when you come here. So you're an A when you want to get laid and a B when you want to get paid, but you're B when you want to get paid. (laughs) So, and I think a lot of times that's this thing that artists go through, like when they're in a situation where they go and they, they'll go to the comedy club and they'll be doing spots. And it's like, ah, I'm just going to do spots. You know, it's not like looking at it like, it, you know, it's it's just not like looking at it like it's there's a sense of urgency to it. And but yet when you meet the girl, there's a sense of urgency to it. If I don't get my act together here, I might not get some action. Yeah. Yeah. So with the with the acts that you've managed, Barry, 
the ones that have been successful, was that something that that drive to raise their standard? Was that an innate thing in them? Or was that something that you had to pull out of them? And uh, how, describe that for me. Where do you think that comes from? It's a good question. I think it's, um, I think with a good relationship with somebody who's sort of your on one side of the business like me and they're on the other side, I think it's a collaboration. And I think it's, uh, it's a question of whatever my talent is for those things and their talent. And so everybody has their own thing. There's people who are more confident, less confident. It's, um, it's very strange. You see many different people of many different walks of life. And I've had people who weren't confident at all, who I helped get through that. And, uh, some of them book Saturday night live who had little or no confidence. Um, but once you realize that sometimes it's the perception of confidence, you don't always have to, if you don't have it, as long as you give the perception that you have it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but those artists, you know, a lot of those people like, you know, Wanda Sykes or Dane Cook or Bill Burr or Louis C.K. or Dave Chappelle or again, Tracy Morgan. These are people who there's just something special there, something unique. You know, Tracy Morgan might not have had the material, but he had no fear, never had any fear to be himself. Um. Dave Chappelle might not have been the most extraordinary physical theatrical performer out there, but no one embraced the silences more than he did to allow the audiences to breathe and wind up and recalibrate for that big laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, Dane Cook was an extraordinary theatrical performer, like nothing I've ever seen. Um, I was fortunate to be a part of him pressing buttons and selling out shows in seconds. And uh, I think the show visually at Boston garden vicious circle is I've never seen a show shot like that in my life that I'm, I'm honored that I was a part of that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, would Dane sit down and say that, Hey, my material stands up to Richard Pryor. I don't think so, but I think he would say I'm just as good a performer as Richard Pryor. And I can certainly put on a great show like Richard Pryor. And, and there are parts of my material that I would say are great. And I would stack the atheist bit up against anything he might say. Mm -hmm. um, so everybody has their thing. You have to rally around what your strengths are and what you do well. And, and, and that's important. And I, you know, Louis CK just stands there and slings the jokes and, and that works for him. Mm -hmm. um, everybody, everybody has their different thing, but as long as what your thing is, is something that universally is just extraordinary. You're going to be fine. And, and I know what some people are saying, well, what about the guys that book the acting jobs while they're like an open mic or doing stand up, and then, you know, they're working all over the place and their stand up isn't that great. And I said, well, you know, they went in a room and booked the fucking job. You know, what did you write today? Yeah. yeah. What the fuck did you write today? Yeah. You know, so, so the key is to, to make that breakthrough in whatever it is. And once you figure out what the breakthrough is and you write that one extraordinary joke, I remember there was this person who sent me this, uh, this uh, video and I, I'm embarrassed to say I, I, I don't have her name, but I watch a lot of videos and she gets up there and she's very well-dressed and it's like a coffee house or something. I'll never forget. I'm going to pose this to you and your audience to show you. Since so your first line, just, just knock me out. And it just, you know, I don't know. I wasn't expecting it or whatever. She just got up there. She said, hi, my name's whatever Jane Doe. 
I'm 45 years old. You can tell you're getting old as a woman when. I'm going to pose that to you in the audience. Now, if I gave that joke to 100 people, that premise, I'm 45 years old as a woman. You know, you're getting old when. And I gave that premise to people. Yep. A hundred people. They'd come up with a hundred different jokes. What's your joke? Oh, 45 you know, you're, I'm 40 years old. Uh, you know, you're going to lose a woman when you, when what? When your back works part time. Okay. So there's your joke. Funny. <laughs> My joke that I came up because I normally stop stuff before the joke plays because I love to think about what I would say. Yeah, yeah. What you'd beat to the punch. And, and my joke was, uh, you know, you're getting old as a woman when your spanks have an expiration date. <laughs> that was yeah. my joke. And I, and I, but I stopped myself. But her joke was a thousand times better than mine. She said, hi, my name is Jane. Oh, sorry for And I just loved that joke. It, it oh, meant sorry, a lot Barry. to me the oh, sorry, fact Barry. that this person was coming out in this coffee. Was, I, I, you froze they, up. You froze up just when you delivered the joke. Oh, <laughs> I'm froze, sorry. It froze up on this end. I can, sure, I can do it again. I can go ahead. It. Yeah. So she does so, it. So she, says, so she does it. She says, um, hi, my name is Jane Doe. Uh, you know, you're getting old as a woman. When you have to buy your own cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's so loaded. It's so much in that. And I thought to myself, there isn't anyone in the world that wouldn't laugh at that. Now, granted, it is a drug reference. Yeah. But it just it tells the story of who she is, you know, the whole story of who she is in the first sentence. Yeah. And then ends with not only a consonant, but a double consonant. <laughs> And uh, and even and though the set well. wasn't and even though the set wasn't spectacular after that and it wasn't like you know as extraordinary as that joke, I thought to myself, well, she has something to build on here, and yep. there's something to build on that's a joke that's that's it's going to work and give her confidence, and then start writing you know one at a time the the best jokes for that. Yeah. There's a guy that I um, there's a guy that I know in um, Myrtle Beach, um, really, really a tremendous uh, comic named Edmund. I don't I don't want to say his last name because I don't want him to get. But, you know, it just writes just such wonderful things. I love watching him and listen, even though he's a young comic, just amazing bits about how you know, where he's from and he's from Albania and in Albania, um, I'm paraphrasing, but he says that, you know, there aren't any fast food restaurants in Albania. And so um, if you see somebody overweight in Albania, uh, you know, it naturally means you're a millionaire. And, uh, and then I came to this country and I'm like, wow. <laughs> There's a lot of wealthy people here. <laughs> I see some millionaire. I see some millionaires in the crowd tonight. <laughs> and then he says, I went to Walmart. There were billionaires there. I'm thinking, what? I'm thinking, why are they shopping there? <laughs> you so know, and, and so, and so I just, I, 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 I had to reach out to the guy. I'm like, God, you're doing it. You know, you're, you're, you're doing it. Yeah. This is, this is, it's, you have your own style, your own thing, and it's just simple, but nobody's doing that kind of thing where it's like, and then every joke he would have would have that rhythm of the way he does things. And yeah, you get lost. You know, I, I think he's going to do tremendous stuff. Um, and when you see somebody doing the right thing, it's really exciting. And, and I think that's one of the challenges for a lot of artists, whether they're sketch performers or they're improv or they're stand-up comedy. It's just, it's really challenging not being one of the pack. It's really challenging because your, your, yourself, your inner self wants you to stay comfortable. It wants you to be ordinary. That's where it's happiest. 
to get out and to venture out and to, to, to be uncomfortable with something is, is a really challenging thing. And if you can do that, you're, you're on your way. Do you think right now with the speed at which people are putting out new hours, you know, you, I'm sure you're, you're negotiating these deals as well for artists. Do you think it's, it's hindered the quality? Do you think they're, they're coming out too fast? Do you feel like artists feel like I signed this deal? I got to get, I have another special by in a year's time. Do you think the hour has lost its luster as a result? And, and look, I get it subjective and we can all say that was shit and I like this one, but you know, when, when, when comedian came out the doc, it was a big deal that Jerry had thrown away that full act and built this new hour. And now that is the standard. I mean, no one's going to see somebody twice for the most part, if they've repeated material as a manager, what do you feel about this current trend of the new hour, the new hour? Look, the current trend is if you can, it's the same thing I said before, no one's going to get tired of what you do. If it blows away the past thing you did, they're going to get tired of what you do. If your second album that comes out as a musical artist, isn't as good as the first one Mm -hmm. and your third album isn't as good as the first one, then they stop buying your records. It, it all goes the same way. There's no, I don't mean to be a broken record, but it doesn't matter if there's a thousand hours and people get tired of comedy. The cream always rises to the top wherever you are. You know, it's like, look, we're in a fast paced society where everybody, everybody wants things quick. Now make it short. Joe Rogan's podcast is three and a half hours and he's number one breaks every rule. There is the break in the business. It doesn't matter if you're, if you blow people away, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter that he's doing three and a half hours. Who the fuck wants to listen to three and a half hours of anything, unless you're there, you know, but apparently a kajillion people do. Yeah. Um, but, but, but what I'm saying is on paper, on paper, if you were to take a poll of uh, group of people, uh, would you were an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half, three, three and a half year, you would, you would say that the majority of the population would say that they don't want to go three and a half hours, mm-hmm. but they do. They can't stop listening to him because he's so great and he has such a wonderful community and how he presents himself. And so there's no rules when you're extraordinary. Yeah. But so if you're managing someone and you feel like, you know, the hour is due, we got to get it ready. Will you find artists who are like, I don't know if this shit's ready to go. I don't know if this thing is going to beat my, the last thing I put out there. Oh my God. I mean, all the time you, you have people who tell you that they don't feel ready, even when they're ready. Yeah. Um, I've been driving to the hour special with an artist and they say, could you pull over and they go over to a tree and they throw up. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I've had everything happen. I mean, everything you can imagine. I've probably done 40 specials. That's I've seen, I've seen everything. It's amazing. It's amazing. Okay. So you obviously started as a stand-up comedian. Do you miss it at all yourself? Getting on stage? Do you miss writing jokes? Do you miss creating yourself? Does that something that, that does that itch still stay with you? No, I don't have any itches anymore. <laughs> You use a lot of lotion. You're just <laughs> I, 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 I live vicariously through uh, other people's material, <laughs> which is much better than mine. <laughs> but you don't miss that buzz at all, that adrenaline of, of getting up there and something you thought of and it hitting and it coming back to you. Like when did, did that shut off for you one day and then you went into management? Like how was that transition? I guess that's what I'm kind of getting at is that because I know a lot of people walked away from stand-up, but some of them are still like, man, I still, God, I wish I could get back up there and I missed that buzz. Did that no, just I, turn off for you one day? Yeah. I mean, I, I would host the show is at my club, the Boston comedy club in New York, where all these guys uh, came out of. Um, and um, 
you know, I keep my hand in it that way, but it was just, it was just wasn't fun anymore because I liked, I liked being in control and I didn't feel I was in control as a comedian. And maybe I didn't feel in control because maybe I wasn't writing extraordinary material and performing it extraordinarily well. I mean, I would always do well. Um, I, I never worried about doing well. I was great host and, uh, great, uh, also at uh, talking to the crowd, but that's not, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know if you can name, uh, three comedians who became famous from doing crowd work. I don't think that's happened. So, yeah, that's uh, right. that's um, right. So when you retired, did they take your set list like a great athlete, you know, when they retire and they take the, the Jersey and they, they raise it up into the rafters, did they take your set list and it was raised up into up into the rafters and hung there. It was like, no, yeah. like a bunch of the comedians got around the circle and they took it and they lowered it <laughs> down to the ground. And then they took out their stuff and peed all over it. That's what they did. <laughs> that's, that's how that's, that's the retirement ceremony for every comedian. That was that's... my retirement ceremony. <laughs> the, the urination ring of fire. <laughs> um, we had met once before. It wasn't just for laughs. You were doing your live podcast with uh, Kenya Barris. It was incredible, incredible conversation. I've listened to a bunch of the, your of your episodes of Industry Standard, but to be Thank there you. live, yeah, no, it's incredible. It's it's a fantastic podcast for anyone who wants that that insight, you know, into an industry, especially as a Canadian, because it's just so different up here. You know, it's a different world. But his honesty that day about you know, his work ethic, how much he'd failed, his childhood, um, his thoughts on certain big names in the business that he did not, you know, pull any punches with. And I thought in that moment, I go, it's a real testament when you're on a podcast or you're an interviewer to be able to pull that out of other people. You know, it's a skill set to be able to allow someone to be that vulnerable. Do you feel as the podcast has grown that that's a skill set that you've developed over time, or is that something you've always had the ability to get people to be vulnerable? It's, it's strange. It's one of those things where I, I don't even know where it comes from. I'm also pretty clairvoyant too. And I, I have an understanding of things that are going to happen and what's going to happen and who it's going to happen to. And, and I've always uh, been able to sit down with people and have really wonderful conversations where they felt safe and, and I felt safe. So I think it's something that I, I've had. I've, I've certainly uh, become better at it. I'm, I, but I don't, you know, I've, I've been doing the podcast for a long time and I've, you know, been doing it in a way where, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't want me to do it. Uh, uh, they thought it was a bad idea and because um, I knew uh, all the information and, and uh, a lot of stories. But, you know, it was something I wanted to take the risk and I wanted to do because I believed it could help um, a bunch of people. And uh, I don't mind, you know, I've been giving away the free chicken at Costco for about eight years now. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about this new thing that I'm about to embark on too in my spare time that I've been working on for like three years called the blueprint. Um, <laughs> the blueprint, uh, which is a really, uh, an exciting thing. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm just, uh, I could talk to you more about it, but I don't want to bore you, but essentially it's, it's the blueprint for success in the comedy business. And I've, I've, I've recorded and done video and different things over 300 hours of stuff. Wow. And it's like a, it's almost like an online academy for that's accessibility of all the knowledge that I have in my mind from all the decades of experience I have of how to, take your career to the next level. And so I'm looking forward to that and that should be launching, uh, uh, next month. And, um, uh, I'm, anybody who wants to be a part of it or learn more about it, hopefully, uh, they can go to barrycats.com and, and hopefully there'll be more information as it goes. And it'll be something that'll be able to help a lot of people. There'll be a lot of different tiers. And, uh, so anybody who is any, where in the business financially will be able to learn something about how to get to the next level. Cause I love this. I love talking to you. I love doing the podcast. I love doing my podcast. 
but I wanted to do something to sort of bridge the gap between the podcast and the consulting business that I do in my spare time as well, which is the one-on-one stuff, which, cause I can't manage everybody. Right. And, and that's tends to be too much for people. So I wanted something in the middle where they could gain a lot more information and be pinpoint and surgically accessible to people. So again, yeah. it's the blueprint for success in the comedy business. And wow. It'll awesome. be interesting. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing that. Um, I think for a lot of comedians, especially in Canada, there is a sense of, uh, of uh, being cast out to sea a little bit. And we, we get to feel connected with the, the bigger comedy industry quite often when you go to a Just for Last Festival and you're kind of in those scenes and in those rooms. And, um, you know, of course, a lot of Canadians have moved to, to Los Angeles and New York and done very, very well. Um, I, I guess I wonder, for you as a manager, who do you think requires a manager, you know, cause you must have people approach you all the time and say, you know, Barry, you know, I want a manager, da, da, da. But does everyone fit that category? Who do you say? Like, you don't need to think about that shit until X. What, how do you define that? Again, not to be a broken record, but if you're doing extraordinary things, managers and agents will chase you like your ass is on fire. Right. Anybody who says, I need a manager, got to get a manager, got to get somebody, then, you know, you're looking to get somebody and you're not, if they haven't found you now, don't get me wrong. If you really feel you're ready and there's a possibility that no one knows about you and no one in the world is talking about you and you are unbelievable and you're just killing it every night and there's no one like you. But for some reason, the agents and managers haven't come that night or they don't haven't heard about you in a fluke. Yeah. Then it, it doesn't hurt to, to send them what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But if they say no, what does that tell you? That tells you that maybe it's possible that, you know, how you think you are isn't what you think. Right. Or maybe it's possible that everyone's wrong. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Do you, but, but, but just, just, just stay the course and just, just keep killing it. And, um, that's all that matters. Once you keep doing that, you'll, you'll have everything you need. Where did you learn? Because we talk about development of artists, but as a manager, who has helped you the most with regards to becoming a manager? Like, how do you develop? Because you, I feel like it's a pretty important position. You're taking this person's career in your hands. They're trusting you. They're saying, Barry, you're going to get me to the next level. I believe we're going to work together to get there. How do you develop as a manager, as, as a profession? How do you, is it just a series of trial and error? Is it just a series of, okay, fuck, I won't do that again. Uh, how did you, how did you get to that point? Uh, for me, it was just a series of trial and error because I didn't have it. There was no management college. Right. Um, but now, you know, people can talk to people like me and get advice. And there's a lot of managers who do meet me confidentially who are with big management firms who just, you know, say, can I take you out to lunch? Can we talk about this? I need to know what to do with this. How would you negotiate that? Um, <clears throat> but for the most part, Sadly, it's trial and error, and you don't want to hear that because you don't want to be in a situation where I'm representing Trent, and uh, you know he's thinking that I'm working with him trial and error. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but again, if the manager has the same originality and uniqueness and passion, and that same kind of unique energy that you have, then you're going to be in great shape. But uh, the the best answer is just gotta get out there and fight for your artists and, and put them in positions to win and make sure they're prepared to win. And, um, cause it doesn't do you any good if you get all these opportunities and they don't get the, they don't get the call. I mean, what good does it do? How I can be the greatest manager in the world. And if somebody doesn't go in the room and book the job, what, what good does that? I'm not a successful manager. I got to inspire them to be the best they can be, or I got to help them with the tools they need to be the best they can be. And, you know, that's what I need to do. And that's why it continues to happen. And I, 
just help do this overall deal for uh, Apple uh, Plus. And, you know, I think to myself, when it was all over, I, I sat back in my chair and I thought to myself, okay, I guess you still got it. I guess it's still happening. Uh, and it, you know, and it's still, it still happens every day. Something amazing happens because what you do today, um, you're going to see the results for six months from today. So don't think even if nothing happens today, that doesn't make any difference because you're doing things to build for the future. And um, that's what's really, really important. So don't get frustrated. Just, just keep working hard and putting the effort in and the repetition really is really, really important, whether you're a manager or you're an artist. And, um, and uh, I, I just have time for like one more question. If you want to, yeah, Sorry, I have to go. All good. I know you're a busy man. All right. This is the last one. You're only the second person I've asked this question as I've only introduced it on that one other episode, but here it is. Young Barry Katz, growing up as a child, if he could come to your world now and see the life you have, what would he say? What would he think? That's a great question. I'm, I'm glad I'm number two. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you're number one, you're number one, Barry, in our hearts. You know, I, I love that. Uh, what, what would young Barry say to old Barry? Um, I think the first thing he'd say is, "Wow, I." Um, it seems like only yesterday that you know, you're watching your mom cry in the kitchen after your dad dies when you're four years old and you're, you know, grabbing onto her legs saying everything's going to be okay. And, um, and your, your best friend is a golf club that you found in the trash and a golf wiffle ball that you made a little golf course around your yard because there was nobody around. Um, you go to high school and you're, have no friends really. And, uh, and, um, you can have all the adversity in the world. And, and he'd probably say, I can't believe that anything is possible like this. I, I, he probably would say, I've seen so much to indicate that so many things aren't possible and so many bad things can happen that, I'm so happy that we were able to turn it around and have a positive outlook and realize that there's more than one chapter in the book of your life. And, and I kind of like the chapter you're living now and, and hopefully the future chapters will be better and better. Awesome. Great answer. Great answer. Barry, thanks so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. All the best with the podcast and uh, all the best going forward. Thank you so much, man. You're amazing. I really enjoyed this. Tell your girlfriend I said hi and uh, lock it up. <laughs> Will do. Great advice. <laughs> Take care, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.